all corners of the globe to your ears. It's the Midnight Movie Cowboys. Sometimes informative, sometimes controversial, but always unpredictable. It's the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast with your hosts, Hunter, John, and Stu. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Midnight Movie Cowboys. I am Hunter, and joining me in the Rocky Mountain High of Colorado is Mr. John Grace. Say hello, John. Hola. Como estas? Bien. Beans and disease to you, too. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Spanish language, uh, we also have joining us uh, from the Cecil Hotel, Mr. Eric Zaldivar. Say hello, Eric. Yo. Yo. So, uh, Eric's the the topic we have this week we've got a lot of movies to talk about so i'm going to skip my fault yeah (laughs) i'm going to skip whip out your junk and we're just going to go straight into it uh the movies we're talking about this week i guess i guess eric has indiana jones on the brain because you pitched this one to to us was uh doing the the two the canon duology of uh king solomon's line king solomon's lines yeah king solomon's lines <laughs> king solomon's minds and uh alan quartermain in the lost city of gold the two canon films starring richard chamberlain as alan quartermain and sharon stone um <clears throat> is it just because uh is it just is it just dial of destiny coming up which you're not gonna watch uh that, not gonna watch you- i don't know it's it's I've just been rewatching and and watching for the first time a lot of these uh, Jones clones um, from the '80s, and so I'm like, yeah, hey, you know what? Well, I won't give away what I feel about King Solomon's Mines just yet, but I was like, you know what? Out of all of these, we should probably cover these two. Yeah, um, th- those are probably the two most well known ones. Mm-hmm. I'd I, yeah, pretty damn close, I'd say. Yeah, you know, uh, podcasts don't talk about them. Well, what was that? You know- Oh, they don't. Uh, so the podcasts don't really talk about them. No, they're pretty. Uh, I I feel like you know you'll see them come up in canon documentaries, but for the most part, I feel like they're forgotten. Uh, you know, even Quartermain as a character hasn't really stuck around in the pop culture. You know, the last thing that was significant was Sean Connery playing him in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, and even Quartermain. And, yeah, Quartermain. But even then. Uh, most people I'll rape you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that's just doing the real Sean. I think that's what he said to uh, to uh, what's his name, Stephen. To Norton, every woman he, he ever worked with. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> was it when he was asked why Stephen Norrington wasn't at the premiere? He was like, "Try the insane asylum." <laughs> <laughs> he, he was like threatening the reporters. Uh, he, he went to two or three. There's footage of it online. Three or four t- reporters, and he was just like, "Oh, you're wearing a jock strap, are you?" And the guy's like, "No." He's like, "Oh, that's why you're smiling." Like, what? What is going on? <laughs> that's why you're smiling? But I. But even when that. Ever play tennis in the nude in the moonlight? <laughs> some weird Scottish humor or something. I've no idea. <laughs> Nobody can figure him out. Yeah. I. You know. I, I feel like when that movie came out, nobody really knew who Alan Quartermain was. Maybe the last thing was the was these movies with Richard Chamberlain. But Did I don't you guys think watch Alex G? Because if they would have actually abbreviated it, it would have been Leg. Um, uh, did any of you watch Alex G? League of I, Extraordinary Gentlemen. I, I saw it when it came out, and I thought it was terrible. 
I saw it when it came out. I, I liked the first like third of it. Yeah. No, I thought it started strong and then it just kind of fell apart. Yeah. Um, no, uh, you know, it was one of those uh, kind of failed Alan Moore adaptations uh, that probably, well, you know, not ever, I think Watchmen is probably better than his book, but, um, but, you know, it early on, improvement. early on, I, I enjoyed V for Vendetta. I thought that was okay. Uh, yeah, no? I saw it once in the theater and it, I yeah. didn't vibe with it, but that uh, that's back in 05, 06. That's when I saw it. Mm -hmm. yeah, haven't seen it since League. Well, that's when like... we went to see everything. We saw, we saw movies back on. Huh? Mm -hmm. We give it things a chance. That's oh, yeah. why that's we saw movie. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen when nobody else did. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, I was like, it's a new Sean Connery film. It's from the director of Blade. You know, I was, I was pretty jazzed about it. I was like, oh, and it's like a superhero movie of literary characters. That's a cool idea. Um, but the movie was just, it was just a mess. Like it, it just felt like nobody was in control of the, the ship. Um, a lot of it felt half baked. Yeah. Yeah. It needed just, more time in the oven. I think the first third is pretty strong for what yeah. it is. In no, terms of I, trash. Yeah. I was enjoying it uh, early on. I remember when you meet Alan Quarterman, I thought that scene was really cool. And that Western shootout in Africa is cool. Um, I love the, uh, you know, gathering the group together, Magnificent Seven, uh, Men on a Mission style. Mm -hmm. um, the meeting with Mystery, aka M, aka it turns out it's Moriarty. Uh, sorry, spoilers. It's been 20 years. Um, and uh, all that stuff is great. And then once they get to Venice is where it really falls apart. Yeah. It A movie that sort of I had a similar reaction <laughs> to was Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman. Never saw it. Never saw I never it. saw Van Helsing either. Although now that I think about it, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen has this for me the same trajectory of quality that Crystal Skull has. Really? Where it's it has a good first twenty five minutes, mm -hmm. and then they get to Costa Rica to the mission proper, and boop, 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 just slowly, gradually goes down from there. Interesting. No, I'm I'm uh kind of doing what you're doing is I'm I'm going back and watching all the Indiana Jones movies. I'm not watching Raiders again because I've seen that so many times. Like, there's no, you know, I'm, I'm I'm just watching like Temple of Doom, which I watched last night and I thought was spectacular. We could um, talk about it later. I have my thoughts on on Doom. Um, my opinion has changed a little bit. Okay. Uh, and you know, Last Crusade and Crystal Skull. I want to watch those again because Last Crusade I saw a bunch when I was young, but I haven't watched it in a long time. And Crystal Skull I haven't. You seen saw it a before. bunch. You saw it more than once. Yeah, yeah. No, it was Astounding. on TV. It was on TV all the time when I was a kid. Oh, it was a babysitter. It was your yeah. babysitter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> At 25. I, uh, <laughs> I, um, Crystal Skull, I want to say I saw at least one. Well, certainly once in the theater, uh, but I feel like I've at least seen it twice. I saw it in the theater, and then I've just seen bits of it here and there on television. That's probably what I've experienced. Since then, I've, I haven't sat through it start to finish since i saw it in the theater well the last half hour is a complete wash you don't have to watch it at all <laughs> and it has nothing to do with the aliens although they could have used a better cgi model but but the yeah. aliens are the least of it it just becomes a dead movie it just kind of yeah. sits there um what's i gonna say oh but uh um, but so what so you've just been kind of into these jones clones i just finished watching one it wasn't good uh bloodstone i mean most of them weren't um, one, one we covered on this show was that 
one with Giuliano Gemma, Tex, the Tex. Tex, Willer, and the Lord of the Deep, yeah. 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 That's that's not good either. No, um, it's and terrible. That, and the pedigree on, that's a shame because the pedigree is good. You got Giuliano Gemma and you got um, Ducio Tesari yeah. as a director. Um, but, you know, it was a TV film. I don't know. It's like everybody forgot how to make movies uh, in that country by the 1980s. I know everybody. It's also Italy's that. most famous Western comic book, I think. Yeah, yeah. it is. I know yeah. everybody loves their, their you know, their uh, post-apocalyptic stuff. And, and but all that is really in comparison to what they, was, they were doing in the 60s and 70s. The Italians had lost it. Yeah, totally. Totally lost it. Um so did either of you are did, have either of you read the Alan Quartermain books, King Solomon's Mines and Alan Quartermain? Unfortunately not. I really want to now. Um after watching the the wonderful films. Um no, I I uh, I was reading a detailed synopsis on the first King Solomon's Mines, the first one because there's like there's a lot. There's about 8 or 9 maybe even in the double digit sequels. In fact, he meets there's a crossover with another Haggard character, she. I think it's called She and Alan or Alan and She. Um, uh, but long story short, no, I have not. Um, yeah, I, I haven't either. I thought maybe John would have, if anybody here had. Um... I tried back in the day, back when I was trying to read every pulp there was, and, um, they're hard to find it back then. They were hard to find. Now you can get all these public domain publications. And, um, uh, I think Del Rey or Bantam or one of those companies actually put them out and uh but they didn't reprint them too often and they didn't give them cool frazetta covers or you know boris vallejo covers so they never really developed a reputation so i always feared maybe they were too victorian or something in their their prose you know you always fear you're going to read that type of old english and it's gonna be really boring but um i did find uh, i think at dover classics put out a few of them and i started reading uh one of the quatermain i think it was just called alan quatermain and uh started reading it was actually I went through a few pages, a few chapters. It was, it was holding together pretty well, and I think I the paperback like fell behind a shelf or something, and I haven't located it since. So, I was uh, actually this afternoon looking into omnibus editions on Amazon, and there's some that has all the Quatermain stories. There were quite a few, um, and it's like forty bucks, and you get like all the stories in one bound edition. So, and also you can get them on Kindle. You can get like the complete Haggard for like three dollars on kindle if you're into kindle reading i'm not really there yet but you know i try yeah uh i'm with you there uh, um so king solomon's minds has been made into several movies this is the only one i've seen uh and this one is from 1985 it's directed by J. lee thompson the buddy of very dependable <laughs> Hey, get Jay. I like working with Jay Lee. You don't like the raping, like Michael Winner. My Menachem Golan's like, who who do I get to to do this? uh, King Solomon's Mines. Get that Jay Lee Thompson. He's very dependable. (laughs) He gets things done on time. (laughs) On time and under budget. Um, and uh, it's written by uh, Gene Quintano and James R. Silky. I think Quintano was brought in to like write jokes, maybe because he did like. Uh, he did like goofy uh, sort of teen comedies for canon, like Making the Grade, uh, which was actually shot where I went to college, <laughs> starring uh, Judd Nelson. That's um, cool to see locations like that. Here. Yeah, yeah. It's the, I never would have watched that movie otherwise, but I yeah, watched it. I was like, oh, it's shot where I went to school. Um, well, more importantly, he teamed up with Tony Anthony in 1981. Really? 
Yeah, for coming at you. He starred as the villain and wrote uh, the, the script. And then they did it again two years later for Treasure of the Four Crowns, which is also really? a Jones mm -hmm. huh. mm -hmm. Um, But this one has Sharon Stone, Richard Chamberlain as Quartermain, as mentioned earlier. We've got Herbert Lom from the Pink Panther movies as a German... Uh, officer who just eats sausage uh while he talks like listens to wagner yeah listens to yeah. wagner because <laughs> hitler loved wagner so yes yeah. and all uh, germans have to be like hitler uh and probably the most egregious thing is they get jonathan reese davies in there as the villain basically doing wow. his sala bit from except he's bad from uh raiders yeah um but so uh, this one, like Indiana Jones, like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom, which were the only two that had come out by this point, um, this one kind of starts right in the middle of the action and just kind of you're in the middle of the mission. But the way it starts, it's like pure Indiana Jones plagiarism, <laughs> like right from the outset, like they have the instead of the you know marion getting trapped in the pots uh sharon stone gets wrapped up in a carpet and he's chasing her through the streets trying to find out which carpet she's in um and i was going i was going wow we're this is like and even the the jerry goldsmith score it's like they were like can you make this sound like john williams a little bit it's really good too um it, what did you guys think of that the the main theme the the music is really good Jerry Goldsmith is a better composer than John Williams. Yeah. I mean, you I look agree. at the track record, Planet of the Apes, Capricorn One, Rambo, created all the Rambo music. That guy yeah, is I way more iconic than Williams. Well, he's more eclectic, too. Williams is very samey a lot of the times. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll take over for Hunter, I guess. Um, but I... Uh, oh, there he is. Sorry about that. Were you recording during that time? I think so, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. You if it, it says we were, stop recording if I stop. John was saying a sacrilegious thing that, but I agreed with him. Um, that uh, Jerry Goldsmith is a better composer than John Williams. Oh, I agree with that. I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, but it just it just sounded like they were like, "Can you do this to be like as much like John Williams as possible?" Yeah, um, he was like, but, "Sure, kid, I'll blow him away." Yeah, no, I, I think Give me Jerry, that check, Golan. <laughs> Jerry Goldsmith, fantastic composer. Uh, if if you were to present me with, maybe depending on the project, if I was doing a Christmas movie, I might go with John Williams. But um, uh, if you were to present me with who who would you rather have on your film, I would pick Goldsmith. Yeah. Yeah, Goldsmith is great. Doesn't have the same clout with Gen X, though, so. No, um, but, you know, Williams is talented, but, uh, you know, I think Goldsmith is just, he has more, I think he's got more in his wheelhouse, more sounds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, Star Trek. Didn't he do Star Trek, the motion picture? He did. Yes, I believe yeah. he did. He came up with a new Star Trek theme that I think they've basically exploited, I believe. Yes, he in did. The, movies. the Star Trek movie themes, or whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's definite. Those definitely, I think, did a good job of replacing the Alexander Courage uh, theme mm -hmm. from the show. When I'm watching the Star Trek films, listening to that, uh, the music, I, I can't recall the TV music. 
I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying that I and vice versa. I can't recall the movie version when uh, I'm watching the show. Yeah, they they do exist successfully as two completely separate things, even though it's the same actors, yeah. a lot of the same talent. You know, some of the same talent behind the camera. Yeah. But somehow so, they are their own thing. You know. But um, tell me. Well, I I don't know. Should we wait for Hunter? You can give me my your opinion. I'm like, what did you sure. think about King Solomon's Mines? Because I think, yes, the action isn't terribly good. Richard Chamberlain while uh, very uh, affable um, and a likable protagonist and yep. charismatic, he can't throw a punch worth his life. So <laughs> the, the action's terrible, but they make up for it in ways that Lucas and Spielberg don't, With they, it, or, or rather, let me rephrase that. They make up for it with, with one thing leading to the other. One set piece ends up starting another set. At the end of that set piece, another set piece starts. It just keeps going. I don't think the movie has any time to breathe for the first 40, 45 minutes of the film. There's some downtime after that and some smooching or whatever. But after that, we're back right into it again. And I think in that way, in terms of pace, it's more successful. I'm not saying it's a better movie. Not, not, not saying that. But it's more successful than any of the Indiana Jones movies. Because those have downtime. Yeah, um, I in always figured of, that... In, in terms of uh, emulating the Republic serials and all that. Yeah, yeah, it's um, because Republic serials are juvenile. They were made for children. And one way you kept kids interested is you kept things going and moving. And, you know, it's one thing after another. And uh, King Solomon's Minds does it a lot better than... I think maybe Temple of Doom might have it beat on the one thing after another. Temple of Doom uh, moves like it's, it's constantly... Like it, it moves at such a great clip. I love There's that. a little bit of downtime even in that. I think uh, setting up the the village in need and then getting to Pancot Palace. But yeah, no. Ultimately, there's always something. Um, mm. Even if it's not what you would call an action set piece, you're looking at a gross out dinner scene. You're looking at a great, great, well edited, masterfully done uh, uh, spike room, whatever you want to call the booby trap yeah. room. Yeah um like like the you know like spielberg is so good at juggling uh suspense and comedy at the same time some of those uh ford i give a lot of flack on in raiders i don't think he's very good in in, in raiders actually um his, his acting's kind of lacking um temple of doom there's a few things i'll get into it later maybe you noticed this in your second viewing recently but his grimaces and his mugging for the camera um in that booby trap scene all that is very funny yeah it's great um it's it's really funny um are you okay when, were you distracted over there no i just you know there's my dog is going crazy you know people are asking me questions and you know it's just you know my gotcha. dog, did, did my anybody, dog, did if you... he's not in the room he's going crazy and is attacking his bed and if he's not in the room he's scratching on the door and crying so oh i see you know so i don't know how much of the noise he's made. I don't hear anything. I don't okay, know how much so, you know. Um, we'll just, but no, it, it's 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 hard to think because he's like, you know. Did did you notice uh, since you saw it uh, recently? Did you notice the scene just before the essentially the build up to the climax and the climax of Temple of Doom? Uh, he Indy just comes out of the Black Death or whatever it's called the the possession stuff. Mm -hmm. the voodoo stuff. Yeah, uh, I've been possessed by voodoo. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's how embarrassing that line is in the trailer for Dial of Destiny. I've been possessed by voodoo. You know, 
You gotta listen. It's too. I haven't watched the trailer for Dial of Destiny that closely because I was already like, well, I'm, I don't want to see this. You know, we'll get, into it. we'll get into it later if you want. Um, but I, I have my thoughts. Uh, no, I will not be watching it. Not for free. I mean, not, not, not I'm not gonna pay I, money. I will not go see it in the theater. I no, I'll not. probably catch it when it's somewhere else. Yeah. But, uh, but um, the scene where he comes out of the Black Death or whatever it's called, um. He gets Willie together in short round. They beat up everybody. They've thrown guys off the thing, the platform. And he's just like, we're getting out of here. All of us. <laughs> did you, did you, did you, what kind of a delivery was that? It was like Sylvester the cat. I don't, what? I didn't notice that. <laughs> All of us. Why did he have a lisp? Was he making fun of Spielberg? What's going on? I, uh, I wish they would have done a retake of that. That's, uh, that's, that, that kind of struck me as funny. I'm like, hmm. Well, John, you're making a uh, an obscene gesture, or or a, yeah, you know what that means, don't yeah. you? You know what it means when he's got a list when he delivers yeah. that line. Yeah, but um, we'll, we'll we'll get back to Indiana Jones if you want later. We could, we could keep yeah. talking about Solomon's Mines. How yeah, do you feel, do you think the pace is really good? Because I do it. I think it is. I think King Solomon's Mines it moves really well in that there's stuff in the movie that bugs me. Like I think. It's, this is especially true in the second film. I think a lot of the costumes and sets look like kind of community theater. Like, what did we have in the wardrobe here? Let's, oh, let's get this little cheetah thing and wrap it around his head. Let's get this little, you know, it the, nothing feels kind of authentic or lived in. It kind of feels kind of junky. But there's, there's little things like that mm -hmm. that bug me. But the movie moves at such a clip that I didn't really care because there was always something interesting happening. There was always something going on. Even when I was going, well, that's ripped off of Raiders. I was like, eh, okay, let's go with it. You know, like, it's yeah. just, it's, 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 it's really well paced. I think that's a testament to Jay Lee Thompson too. Just, you know, he works really well. <laughs> the movie gets a lot of flack. If you've seen as much as I have of these things, you'll, you'll realize that actually this is one of the better offerings, if not the best offering. Yeah, I haven't seen. I've seen some of the a few bad Indiana Jones ripoffs. Uh, this is certainly one of the better ones. You know, it's one I've I've never seen that's supposedly good. Uh, is Romancing the Stone? I never saw Romancing. It's a good thing. Yeah, it, it, it's good. I the thing about Romancing the Stone is, yes, it's an Indiana Jones ripoff. It it most sure, assuredly is. I, and the way I would define that is there's a relic in it. Um, it's the stone of the title. Uh, so if there's not a relic in it, like in High Road to China, High Road to China is not an Indiana Jones ripoff. It's off the back. It wouldn't exist without it, without Raiders coming out. Mm -hmm. But it's a uh, locate my missing father movie. Mm. Um, you know, it's also in pre-production in like 1978 with like John Huston directing it. Roger Moore was going to star. Yeah, um, it, it came out during that period in the late 70s where these things, there was sort of an, a ramp up to Raiders. None of it was successful. Um, but you had King Solomon's Mines. There was one in 79 with Donald, Donald Sutherland. You had um, technically uh, whatever the Ursula Andrus is, one where she gets uh, drenched in honeycomb with Stacey Keach. I forget the name of that. Slave of the Cannibal God. Yep. Or uh, the Cannibal God, something like that. Yeah, there's Treasure of the Amazon. I have no idea. Right, Treasure of the Amazon Women, which was a TV movie with um, what's his name from Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker? Uh, special. Was it Bo Vincent in that? Bo Svensson, yeah. Yeah. Walking Tall Part. There was a TV show, Cliffhangers, that basically duplicated the Republic 
serial formula and had three separate stories and you got 15 minutes of each one in the hour. And uh, I loved it when I was a kid. Like it was my introduction to that sort of serial storytelling. And uh, I think it lasted maybe half a season on NBC. It's got a bit of a cult following. It has Michael Norrie playing Dracula. There's the return, return of Dracula in modern day Los Angeles. There was one with Susan Anton, who I think they were trying to turn into a big star. And uh, she was like, she's like Perils of Pauline. It was something like that. And then there was a underground, my favorite when I was a kid was the, uh, there was like an underground kingdom type thing. Uh, what's it? The Phantom Empire with Gene Autry. So it was sort of like a sure. remake of that. A remake but of with that. no uh, cowboy songs. It was black and white when they were um, up in the Old West setting. And then when they go to the underground kingdom, it's in color. So okay. it's kind of a cool, it, yeah. it was a cool thing. I'm, they really need to, like Kino Lorber, whoever deals with Universal right now, ought to give that show like a shot for like a box set or something. If you could put out The Master with Lee Van Cleef, you could put out Cliffhangers, I think. Because <laughs> I think people would get a kick out of it today. But Romancing the Stone, which was in pre-pro, or it was the script was sitting on uh, the Fox shelves for years in 78, 79. And once Raiders became a hit, they were like, okay, we're greenlighting this. Um and it is an Indiana Jones clone. However, I would say that um, the sequel, which is not very good, is actually closer to the Indiana Jones formula, Jewel of the Nile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not a very good film. Uh, Romancing the Stone is pretty good. You can watch it for free right now, currently on YouTube. Oh, Fourth interesting. Film. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to give that one a shot. Yeah, watch Romancing the Stone with your wife. It's a good movie. Yeah. Women love it. My wife loves it. It's got yeah, Michael it's Douglas... Yeah, who I just watched. Yes, in yes. what do you mean a stone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, just watched a, a chorus line, and it's a musical with Michael Douglas, but he's the only guy who doesn't sing or dance in the movie. Thank what you. What does that tell you? <laughs> what does that tell you? He's the only straight guy in the yeah. cast. <laughs> what do you but, mean um... you're not ready for the opening? <laughs> Listen, I can't cast you. You're too good to be in the chorus. <laughs> You're a <But> lead. Solomon's <laughs> Solomon's has a bad reputation. People dismiss it. Honestly, it's it's one of the better, if not, I said the best of 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 the ripoff bunch. Obviously, excluding something as as hugely budgeted as Romancing the Stone is. Yeah. Um. But. Uh, uh, and it's it, today. I think the legacy of it is oh, that's the one where the crew went pee pee in Sharon Stone's bathtub or whatever. Like that's yeah. what it's mostly known for. Yeah, you get those kind of uh, movies like Electric Boogaloo that have a lot of salacious behind the scenes stories about canon films. You know, the canon taint is all, all like there's you know kind of two camps. One where like a canon film is like a selling point. And another where like a canon film is like, oh, this is gonna be crap, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, and it's, it's gonna be awful. Yeah. Um, yeah, but King Solomon's Mind. Show your kids if they want more Indiana Jones stuff. If you're even showing that stuff, it's gonna them. be better than Dial of Destiny. That's for sure. You oh, know? God. Fucking Crystal Ooh. Skull is gonna end up being better than Dial of Destiny. Yeah. You know it. Yep. I know it. Everybody. I know it. Yeah, one reason, um, one reason it got trashed a lot when um, when King Solomon's Mines was released was, um, and I was reminded when I I watched it a second time today on Tubi, um, was there's a scene where they're in the cannibal pot, the boiling pot, and it's a total 1930s jungle movie stereotype. Oh yeah, it feels you know, like Looney probably Tunes. a bad year to do it. I think like filming that in 1984 is not a good idea, and you know you got the spear 
the spears going up and down and they're chanting and you know it's just like um even in king uh, the john Gwillerman king kong it seemed kind of uh, a little outdated and uh here it's just like oh there's the big boiling pot like the old uh you know every three stooges you've ever seen where they're in the jungle and they're what are you implying pot. john what is so wrong about this imagery <laughs> i don't know i was waiting for carly to be going <laughs> you know yeah so it's so it's like you're you're waiting for bugs and the penguin to like show up and get cooked. Yeah. And, and boy, whose idea was this? You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. You know. Yeah. It's, it's all part of the. It's all I, part of the fun. I, you expect yeah. uh, Bogey to walk out of the jungle and go, "Pardon me, Mac, but could you spell yeah. a meal for a fellow American?" <laughs> well, it's like it reminds me of that Charlie Chan movie where he's like in the jungle and they're looking for a Mayan pyramid or something, and Mantan Moreland is wearing his chauffeur suit. In the jungle, <laughs> Mark Cable walks by. He's just like, "Don't go away, folks. This is going to be good." Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that I remember the critics were real up in arms. This is racist. This is stereotypes. And, oh, I was uh, I was watching the great going, actor Ken Gampu has a role in this, and he's basically you know he's covering his face on on the train and everything. And this is a guy who's been in everything from. The Naked Prey to Zulu to Kill and Kill Again, and then he ends up in King Solomon's Vines playing a <laughs> quiet character who's just doing this on a train. So um, it's it, the critics were really, they had the knives out. They hated anything Canon produced. Like there was definitely a, plus I think this was shot in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. I believe and it was. Boy, if you were filming there. Uh, I believe it was Zimbabwe. Time. If not, the second one was shot in Zimbabwe. Oh no! You know what? No, no, this, this was... one was this one was shot in Zimbabwe. I'm looking. Oh, okay. At it. Okay, Zimbabwe. But it, so had it had a South African crew. It had a South African Israeli crew. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> uh, yeah, but yeah, they, also, they had their knives out for it. Also, uh, Arab the Arab League was upset with uh, Jonathan Reese uh, Davies playing a Ar- Turkish slaver. <laughs> well, there's that anachronistic language too. Like somebody gets called a towel head, and then jockey uh, is used. Oh yeah, camel jockey. Even though he's got a fez, John pointed that out today. He's not yeah. even, not even a turban. He's wearing a fez. And then for equal opportunity, the German is called a kraut, which yes. I think originates from World War II, not World War One era, which this is set in. Uh, they they would call him a Hun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, true. I guess we should say the uh, King Solomon's Minds. The book is from 1885, so it doesn't take place during the time that the film. No, this uh, this. Yeah, this is not anywhere near the book in terms of the 40, plot. Forty it's... years later, although it is a hundred years, uh, uh, it was a it was celebrating its hundredth birthday. The book when this came out. Yeah, that's that's right. It was. No worries it's about copyright. Not mentioned in the ads. Yeah, not no worries close. about copyright, which is probably what uh, uh, Golden Globe is more concerned with. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you know Richard Chamberlain, who's. Last film before this was the Last Wave, the Peter Weir film. So, I guess uh, I guess he'd been taking a bit of a hiatus. He's Mister Television. He's Mister yeah. TV miniseries. Yeah, What's the show 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 he was in Shogun. Yeah, he was Centennial. Shogun. My son's favorite miniseries. Um, the miniseries. Yeah, he, was he, he was the best Jason Bourne. Yeah, That's right. He did, he, was. he did the Bourne Identity. And, and everybody tells me he was way better than Matt Damon. Way better than Matt Damon. That's that's not a tall order. <laughs> no, it's not. But most people wouldn't believe you. Because um, he's a leading man. Matt Damon is not. Matt Damon is uh, like a midget that somehow got leading man status. Matt Damon looks like a monkey. He's Neanderthalish. Yeah, he, does, he does. Every time I see him, it's just like... Mm. 
He's a bit Cro-Magnon, I think. In the so they couldn't get Ron Perlman? No, he's he's definitely. Uh, I I be- I find him more believable as a supporting role. Um, yeah. Whenever he leads a movie, I'm out. You know, like, oh, Steven Soderbergh's The Informant. I'm out. No, thank no. you. No, thank you. Yeah, I remember a time when Ben Affleck was considered the loser of that duo. And I Dude, think, isn't it crazy? The isn't tables it, have turned. Isn't it crazy how narratives change? Because I remember the for the longest time, Affleck was considered the dumb jock. And they were like, oh, the real talent is Damon. Whew, like, Whew. you know, then I think that changed when Affleck directed Gone Baby Gone. That, yeah. That's when everybody went, oh, because for the longest time, everybody was like, we know who really wrote Goodwill Hunting. It was Matt Damon, you know. <laughs> it was Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yeah. Isn't he like super smart and a pedo at the same time? In the yeah. movie. In the movie. I totally. In real I life, allegedly. Allegedly. I haven't seen. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't seen Goodwill Hunting since. Oh gosh, I can't remember the last time I saw it. It was very close to when it came out. And I totally forgot about the pedophile angle in it. So he is I a pedophile or was he molested? Or was he molested and therefore he I think, into a I think he's he was molested and he confesses to Robin Williams that he has urges towards kids or something. Oh, I think that's what okay. happened. So he's a pedophile, not a pederast. And mm-hmm. and Robin Williams is like hugs him and is like, It's okay, you know. It's, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes oh, we like that young boys. Oh. yeah i'm never gonna watch goodwill hunting goodwill hunting 2 hunting season i might consider dude goodwill hunting 2 hunting season's awesome (laughs) i don't like the sound of them them. well what are we gonna do (laughs) so action Uh, gus or (laughs) i'm busy man i'm busy busy (laughs) so sharon stone uh, what do we think, John? First 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I didn't care for her in the film. Uh, but as it kept moving, um, I kind of just forgot that she was basically doing the modern Valley Girl thing and, you know, something in a 1900 setting. And, you know, there's there's phases of the movie where she's she's great. She looks terrific in this. She actually looks better in this than she looks yeah. in the later films where she was big. And uh, she looks good in the second film. Like, that was one thing they obviously... cheaper and dumber than in the second one than that well we'll get into that when we get to that let's yeah go ahead yeah but she has to kind of grow on yet she has chemistry with richard chamberlain which is kind of funny when you think about it of course yep. but um but they actually have good chemistry together and um they since they're both kind of doing the gene quintano quippy dialogue thing before that was like a standard for all action films thanks marvel um it's like it, it works like she's she's actually pretty good in the role and that's like, you know, I don't I don't care about the behind the scenes stories where they whizzed in her trailer and all that stuff. I don't who who gives a shit, you know. Most of these actresses are probably bitches on the set. That's just the way it is. You don't say. Yeah. It's You're like, not... yeah, she she's all right. And I, I'm surprised she wasn't kind of like a breakout star, but I think it's that canon stigma, you know, of this being a canon film. And I remember how these were released. These were released regionally, if I recall correctly. They weren't like coast to coast openings. It was like it played here one month. It played 
North Dakota the next. It played Mississippi the next month. You know, it's just that sort of weird thing. Yeah, because they, they, they would basically bus. You know, let's let's face it, they would bicycle probably a hundred prints around the country every month. That's just how they released them. Yeah, especially a smaller outfit like Canon. Uh, and even when it was like, even when I was a kid, I knew like Canon was garbage. Like there, yeah. it was a garbage studio making quickie films, and I didn't see this in a theater. My cousin went to see it, and he actually enjoyed it. And he told me he he liked it. I just never got around to it. Didn't have the enthusiasm. Um, yeah, it didn't. It didn't cost that much, but it also didn't make very much. It only, I think it, its budget was like eleven to twelve million, and it made fifteen. Um, yeah and i think these movies made their money back on video and cable tv i think that was the real profit for these films yeah yeah and mgm got wise to that and i think they kind of got tired of dealing with canon and basically just coming up with stuff that made a profit of maybe six or seven million instead of you know they wanted they wanted like a bond movie they wanted something that made like 70 million profit they didn't want seven million profit you know but these made money they did okay the problem is Canon uh, does what the average American does now. They were basically making movies check to check. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like they had money. A little money came in. Okay, we'll put it in this production real quick. Oh, it's all gone. Oh, we just got video sales for American Ninja. Okay, let's put it in the Life Force. You know, oh, we're, we're blowing all our money on Life Force. Cancel, uh, cancel Tony Anthony's production. We're not doing his 3D Flash Gordon thing. You know, it's just like they were just doing like a weird... When you look at all the canceled projects they had, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah, oh, there's tons, like their Spider-Man movie that was, they used the sets to make uh, Cyborg or whatever. Yeah, Cyborg, and um, they were planning a bigger uh, Spider-Man movie years before the Albert Pune one that we're going to have Toby Hooper direct it. Toby Hooper was announced for everything. He was going to yeah. do King Solomon's Vines. He was going to do Spider-Man. Uh, I think Michael Winter was supposed to direct Captain America. Like, if you can imagine that, I guess, uh, any rape angle that, uh, Jack Kirby and, uh, Joe Simon never got into, um, they, they had all sorts of weird things always announced. They announced a Godzilla satire. Um, it's just like, how did they think they were going to do that without Toho and Toho sent him a cease and desist. They were in talks to revive the Shaft series. They were going to do Halloween four with John Carpenter and Dennis Etchison writing the script. They had all these crazy things that almost, that were almost made. Like Bronson's De Golem. Yeah, yeah. I would have liked to have seen that. Hey, it's a clay monster. Hey, this clay monster. He's, he's a Jewish clay monster. <laughs> I'm about to put you in the kiln, buddy. He's gonna get revenge. <laughs> this monster you, is gonna kill muggers. <laughs> don't you know that the golem gets out of control? And gonna put the kielbasa on you. <laughs> he was trying to get him to do Rider on the Rain, like a sequel or remake of some sort, because he liked playing that character. Yeah, yeah, there was talks of that. I don't. I guess it was a canon thing, because like, yeah, Bronson was just almost strictly canon in the '80s. It seems like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they wanted to do a Harry Dobbs uh, sequel, which at the time probably wouldn't have been good, but it would have been nice to see a series of Harry Dobbs films the previous decade. That's for sure. Would have been directed by J. Lee Thompson. <laughs> yeah. Get Jay Lee in there. He does a good. He stretches a dollar. A good, a good Harry Dobbs movie, uh, spinoff, whatever solo outing is one that's not a Harry Dobbs uh, movie at all. It's uh, Jack Reacher. It's true. It's very good. I, I think Lee Child probably saw Rider on the Rain. Maybe he's of the he's generation that might have seen it. He's a military cop, sleuth, something. It's 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 in the it's in the realm. 
it's a two-fisted jag officer basically i guess yeah it's in the realm i want to do riders on the storm <laughs> get that doors tune in there hey It'll i don't like perfect. these hippies but it could be a good movie yeah <laughs> It opens with Jim Morrison singing that tune, and then I blast him. <laughs> Strangle him in the tub, push his hairy head down in the water. <laughs> and I cuck his wife, who's my wife in real life, played by my I wife. I have a part for Jill, or I won't do it. <laughs> now that's who should have played Alan Quartermain, Charles Bronson. <laughs> Yeah, oh, there you go. Jill I was thinking it was probably Tony Anthony, like up for the part, and then they made a deal with Richard Chamberlain because it seems written for Tony Anthony to do a bunch of. Oh, jeez, what I did easily, I get myself into? I could easily see Tony doing the role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say this is what I wish Treasure of the Four Crowns was. That should have been action stunt comedy after stunt comedy action you know yeah treasure uh, of the four crowns is a shit sandwich you got a great opener you got a pretty good if not great closer everything in the middle is a giant sack of crap so there's a clip you sent me where it's like why do they wear these halloween masks so it's directed by takashi Miike is what you're telling me <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah, yeah it might as like well be, minus the gross out stuff takashi Miike is like i know how to make a great opening and a great ending but i don't know how to connect them you know he is a horrible I, director <laughs> he really is it's just gotta just if it happens it happens by accident <laughs> i yeah, was yeah, really it's... disappointed in that samurai movie that everybody loves i finally caught it about two years ago so I was like, this is the thing everybody's 13 assassins is that the one i liked it i didn't oh, think man. it was the greatest thing ever but i liked it because i saw it in a theater and so that last battle is pretty cool to see on the big screen yeah i but, remember enjoying um, it but I didn't say it was, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, this is amazing and forget all the 60s films that you like and forget Sword of Doom and fuck Zatoichi and all that stuff. I, I never got like that about it. It was just like, no, it was good. It was a good, uh, it's said to be better than the original that was made in like 1961 or whatever. They say oh, I didn't even better. realize it was a remake. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Because the remake is, uh, well, I mean, the original is considered to be like a decent film, but great concept they didn't really run with. And here they went with the. I don't know. I've never seen the original, so I couldn't really say. Um, so, uh, you know, I think we all agree that King Solomon's Mines pretty good. Uh, what do we? Anything we want to add before we rate it? You want to talk about the monsters? There's two. There's a giant spider, which looks really good. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and uh, and a water monster that comes out of nowhere, and a cat. Yeah. And a cat. Yeah, there's a cat. A big black cat who's real bitchy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just like the monsters. It was a fun last real surprise. Yeah, and you don't get that. You you know, in Indiana Jones, you don't really get a lot of like monster action, you know. No, you get supernatural stuff at the end, but no monsters. Yeah, you don't get monsters. Uh John, anything you want to add? Um, the monsters are fun in the end. Uh, I was a little annoyed that the, the Tubi print I watched was, um, that, that annoying trend of zoom boxing, which used to be only on the stars, uh, streaming service, but now it seems to be everywhere where you start out with your scoped credits, your full scope, two, three, five credits. And then all of a sudden zooms in, you get your one, eight, five cropping and it's pretty ugly and artifacts real bad on my, my, uh, 75 inch TV. And it's like, that's a frustrating trend and, 
um streaming that it's real pisses me off i hate to be all techno geeky and all that but it's just it's annoying but uh i think it's fun hey i mean i'd say go watch it on tubi there are plenty of worse films anything marvel that you can watch you know any any day of the week it's like this is fun richard chamberlain you can see why he was a star why he was so well liked at the time Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I guess he was a big TV star being Dr. Kildare and all. But, um, but yeah, he's he's good in the role. And Sharon Stone, I mean, this is, it's too bad she didn't break through earlier when she was younger because she certainly had the camera presence and um, that kind of, that she had it to be a star. She just kind of broke through in her mid-30s with Total Recall. <laughs> and that was just kind of, it was unfortunate for her. But she would have had a more lively career had she broken through in like 1980, 81. Yeah, totally. Um, and I guess uh, so. Uh, what would you rate this, uh, Eric? I'd give it a six and a half. John? Yeah, I'd give it a six and a half. It's fun. I just yeah. give it a six. Six. Yeah. Solid. Not a, not a classic. No, but yeah, fun. you know, it's worth checking out if you want. If you like this sort of movie, if you like Indiana Jones, if you like you know romancing the stone and no cgi a lot of on-camera stunts like the whole sequence around the train is really good the train is good uh, a little falters a little bit where he's dragged on the tracks and the tracks are completely flat it looks really, it looks, really looks like he's roller skating <laughs> yeah it looks really strange but you look like uh, it should have on like uh yeah yeah <laughs> but i commend him i commend him for the effort uh the train sequence is a lot of fun i think uh I think Chamberlain gets a chance. Uh, uh, I think he's really good at the comedy, like when he busts in through the, the the cart with all the guys in it, and he's just ready to blow blow them apart. But there's too many, so he's like, "Oh, very good, thank you." Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, checking your reflexes. That Pulls out the horn and starts yeah, singing. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. You know what it. made me laugh is something that's just so innocuous. Um, so at the beginning, this guy, somebody throws a stick of dynamite in the room and one of the bad guys, the guy with the fez, like scrambles for the dynamite. He finally grabs it and says, I got it! And he blows up. <laughs> and then and then like a few scenes, uh, like the next scene, Quartermain throws another stick of dynamite that's a, a dud. And he's like, I got it! Like he's just mocking the other fellow who just got blown to pieces. I don't know. I thought it was funny. <laughs> that was kind of funny all the actors seem to have fun in it that's what you can't say for a lot of movies like this for canon films like everybody see herbert lom seems to be just having a whale of a time hamming it up and oh yeah john reese davies just making fun of a part he didn't think he'd ever play again you know that sort of stuff you got a good sound stage at the end in the temple in the mines Mm -hmm. all the booby traps and stuff yeah it's fun it's a good movie so next 1986 alan quartermain and the law that's Quatermain. I don't know why I say Quatermain, but uh, maybe it's Sean Connery's fault. Uh, in the lost, in the lost city of gold, Alan Quatermain in the lost city of gold. Jay Lee's no longer here. We got Gary Nelson directing. Gary Nelson, who did t- lots of TV. <laughs> and boy, do you feel it? He did Freaky Friday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. You know, not 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 the pedigree of Jay Lee Thompson. Uh, Gene Quintano's back. Uh, Lee Reynolds. You've got Richard Chamberlain, Sharon Stone. This time we have James Earl Jones and uh, a guy who I did not expect to see, Henry Silva, showing up. Wearing and, a Gene uh, Simmons wig. Yes, yes. At first I was like, that guy looks familiar. And then I went, oh, that's Henry Silva. You thought it was the man who copyrighted the dollar sign. And we also have uh, Elvira herself, Cassandra Peterson, showing up. 
Um, who never says anything thank god yes yeah, they, they knew they knew how to handle her yeah exactly um so this one uh i will say is uh you know it the the print on tubi was not zoom boxed i don't believe mine was it was oh it I, was, mine okay. was as well it just felt it felt uh when i watched it it felt bigger than the other one so i was like oh you know i was watching a cropped one i think um but i was watching it going this looks like they spent more money on this one uh also very clearly not as good <laughs> like much baggier pacing um it has little moments where it moves but then um it re- this one really gets bogged down a lot and like my complaints about the last one with like the costumes feeling like community theater it's way worse in this movie with uh james earl jones looks like you know his axe looks like he got it at party city <laughs> you know yeah. um, the first third it kind of it kind of fools you into thinking you're gonna have like at the beginning too you're gonna have a little bit of a darker tone yeah yeah and the first third is fine it's the strongest part of the movie yes um, it's bogged down by endless walking, and I think I know why that is the case. Uh, we'll get into that later, but they had to pad it out for a reason. Um, the first third, the journey to the Golden City, or the City of Gold, rather, is fine. Mm-hmm. You have the river stuff. You have the little leech monsters. Uh, whatever they are, they look like dogs, actually. They're like worms with dog heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the boogans from that horror film. The boogans, yeah. Yeah. The boogans were like frogs, but they do look like that. Yeah, yeah. Like all that stuff is fine. I enjoy that a lot. I love the uh that set piece where the, the chasm opens up. That's great. Yeah. All that's great. Even though James Earl Jones, uh, did you see his attempt to try to push the button to re uh merge the chasm? Uh he's just he he he's like half-heartedly tries to stretch to it. And then once he realizes he can't reach the button, he just goes. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, like every IT guy you ever meet. You, know? you, guys are about to, you guys are about to die. I think I want a little bit more effort than that. <laughs> Did you catch the shot with the Thunderbird puppets when they're on the river? Yes. When they go into the cave, about 41 minutes oh in. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's like yeah. these little Jerry Anderson Thunderbird puppets going, yeah. going into the cave. Yeah. That's fine. All, all, the, the first third or so is fine. The getting to the city is fine. And then you get to the city, and there's no movie. There's no action set pieces. Gosh, nothing it, happens. It's it so boring when you get to yeah. the city. It, it, it's like, what are we doing? What's the big action set piece? I'm going to pretend that I have superpowers by hiding a piece of dynamite underneath this uh, tone, stone slab and blow it up by, you know, like, oh, ooga booga, boom. Like, what? what is going on? And then the trailer, and this is where the padding comes in, because there's a lot of walking in the first third. The trailer has what looks like a pretty fun sequence of people being dipped into gold and mm-hmm. uh, a uh, a pulley system or a, what are they a gondola like an air gondola on 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 uh, on a on a rope and they're sh- having a shootout on top of that thing. Alan Quatermain is is whipping people. None of that is in the film, and it's clearly in the city of gold. Where did all that go? What happened? Why is it not in the film? It clearly needs those action sequences. Um, yeah, the stuff in the city of gold's really boring. Uh, there's a lot of city of gold politics that it's just who cares. 
um this this priest is at odds with this person and they're making these gold statues out of people and uh, i just remember i remember going well kind of enjoying this and then we got there and i was just like you know, it was one of those things where i kept checking how much longer you know like the city of gold is like a it's like a electric it's like a water district building like in the middle of you know the south african jungle or something yeah it's just yeah. like obviously they didn't build anything for it they just found a an odd looking building like probably run by a bank it's, or something it, it, it it's so it's so funny i remember thinking oh no when they see the city of gold and they're like look it's the city of gold and it's so not impressive <laughs> you know? it's like i don't know if i was an explorer i'd be like i found the city of gold if i saw that i'd be because like, you expect like gold pagodas and pyramids like a pulp illustration yeah and it like it's like, like this bank in the middle of a field something <laughs> something the spanish were searching for back in the 1600s you know right right <laughs> you know just uh not this 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 I mean, is, so you get boring dutch architecture basically yeah, I, I was like if i saw if i was on an expedition and i saw this i'd be like hmm perhaps they can point me towards the city of gold well, well the funny thing is quatermain's brother is played by richard chamberlain's lover and when they embrace each other on camera, there's way more chemistry between them than than he has with Sharon Stone. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> but yeah, it's just it just dies on the wire forty minutes in. It's so weird. Yeah, I don't know. It, I don't know what they were thinking. And if you, again look at that trailer, it's got scenes in it that aren't in the film. Well, and you know, I think the bloom was off the rose by this point because the you know this one cost thirteen and it only took in three point eight at the box office. Deservedly so. It's terrible. Yeah. I presume oh, it was shot back to back, but I guess I'm wrong. It was. It, it was. was according according to yeah yeah according to uh uh well I guess we we're going by the uh the uh, the people who worked on its knowledge, but yeah, it was a back to back affair um oh my god that indian guide is horrendously bad it's he's so annoying he's the Jar Jar robert binks. robert donner he's yeah he's the jar jar binks of the movie oh my goodness who was who was in rio bravo by the way that's right <laughs> wow and uh he was also in el dorado too and rio lobo so he was in the all hawks like him basically yes. <laughs> well i like rio lobo and vanishing point and and El Dorado. El Dorado is really good. He was Real Lobo Ch people shit on, but he was in Chisholm. Vanishing cool Point Chisholm. Chisholm's not great. Uh Damnation Alley. Isn't Chisholm the one with Lloyd Batista? Another Yeah, he's got the best line in the movie. Yeah. Oh, and he played Preacher in High Plains Drifter. Okay. Um okay. So he was in Clint's crew for a, a and, cup of coffee. And not to be, you know, not just to work with Clint, he was with Bert in The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing. Mm. Oh, the one where somebody died. Yeah. And it plagued the film and gave it a rep. Bert killed Bert's him. Like, I didn't kill him. You know. <laughs> I didn't kill son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Robert Donner, uh, who played uh, Shwarma. Shwarma. That's right. <laughs> makes me laugh. Yeah, Shwarma's funny. <laughs> He's bad though. Oh my god, is he annoying? Oh, he's so irritating. Do a third film with his brother Grape Leaves taking over his uh, part. Sure. It's <laughs> played by mm. Robert Downey Jr. Shawarma. <laughs> I love shawarma. Oh, we're gonna get some shawarma after this. Oh my god, over. was that was that the Avengers? Where at yes, the end that was that, that was post the end. Uh, 
That was in the, the post credit sequence where it's just like, oh god, we're just sitting around eating shawarma. End of cinema. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. It was done. done <laughs> this over recipes movies. You, you had a good run. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this one, uh, you know, doesn't have the kind hmm. of tr- you know you don't have the charming cast. The 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 villains like Henry Silva's villain just looks like a slob. It's not not very interesting. It's a weird wig. He just screams for the most part. Yeah. Elvira, we Elvira or Cassandra Peterson. We we commented that yeah, it's probably best that she doesn't speak because she can't act, but she's just kind of window dressing. Uh, mm-hmm. James Earl Jones is clearly fitting filling in for uh, John Rice Davies in terms of uh, legitimizing the project. Like, ooh, we got a Lucas Spielberg alum. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he's fine. Yeah. Again, his, I was wrong. His, his I outfit, wrong his acts look 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 lame, bad. But, you yeah. Know. The, the strong stuff is the first third of it, and then everybody just kind of stands around with nothing to do for the rest of the movie. And then yeah. there's a siege at the end, but it's not particularly good or interesting. Oh, it's no. boring. It's a... It doesn't have that. It just doesn't yeah. have enough monsters. Flying around. It could have used some kung fu, too. And had it been made a few years later, maybe it would have <laughs> Should have they should have gotten Sammo hung in there? <laughs> yeah, bring Sammo hung in. He'll do all those crazy angles and Chamberlain will punch. He'll do one of those gay punches on a villain like Henry Silva, and you'd see like powder fly up and his jaw contort. You know, yeah, <laughs> it would look cool though. It would save the, the boring ass movie. You know? Yeah, yeah. They have that gold pit. And they don't even utilize it. Obviously, if you watch the trailer, you'll see that they did. But like, they have that pit of gold, and it's just like, why is that there if we're not going to have that as the climax or something or have a set piece around the whole thing is baffling really is it's it's almost like uh it didn't make it into editing or they made a decision they were going to go for a pg and instead of a pg-13 when that may have meant something i don't know and maybe they're going to market it as a kid's film because uh do you remember the 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 casper von dean tarzan film tarzan and the whatever it was originally r-rated yeah, originally it was supposed to have like a ton of action and violence, and then they decided, no, nah, we're gonna make this for families, and uh, they made like a soft PG Tarzan movie. Yeah, thanks the, Disney. The, thanks a the, lot. The PG thirteen was pretty new at that point too, um, so I think they were coming down on this kind of movie a little bit. Yeah, like it had to be more kid friendly or something. I I don't know. I can't remember what the rating was, but um, it, sometimes it's also just like. Maybe they shot Hot Reels for the trailer only. I don't know. I don't know why they would do that. Maybe they thought it was too similar to Temple of Doom and they were going to get sued. That's a lot of... Yeah, it, obviously the big influence here is Temple of Doom, clearly. But um, yeah. it it's... Uh, uh, it, it You know, the beginning, it's, it's kind of moody in the way that the first one is not. Uh, and I, again, it led me to believe like, ooh, when the first time I saw it, yeah. like over 11 years ago, I was like, ooh, we're going to get like a darker, moodier movie. That's kind of interesting. And that goes right out the door, um, which would be fine if you had the same pacing as the first one, but not even close. I'm giving it a three and a half. It's not good. Uh, I give it a two. Three. Yeah, yeah two. I'd give. Yeah, Gross. I'd give. I'd give it a three. Um, just, just disappointing. You know, the first movie I was kind of surprised by. You know, enjoyed it. 
Um, but this one started off promising. I agree with you, Eric, and just did not, um, didn't fulfill that. Well, are, are we going to ignore the the 800 pound gorilla in the room, which is the fact that uh, the first one looks better to us now because um, s- recent Indiana Jones entries have sucked lemons. Yes. Well, there's that. Uh, sure. I didn't even consider that. Um, but yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I, I saw Solomon's Mines. I'll get into this story if you want, since we'll, we'll get into, into Indiana Jones, I guess, proper. So back in 2011, I was a very, very bad student in college. And I had to take, uh, because of my um, failures, whatever, um, I had to take a, uh, uh, I, I was put on academic probation. And so they forced me, it's a scheme, really. They forced me to uh, to take classes that I didn't need in order to graduate, almost to like punish you, which is bizarre because you're an adult and you're paying for this on your own. Um, what does it matter if I fail a class or not to you? But anyways, it doesn't matter. I went to a predominantly black school and um, don't worry that there's going to be a reason I said that in a second. Um, and it's not going to be <laughs> a racial joke. But um, so I, I had to take a speech class and they asked us, one of the projects was a PowerPoint presentation. And at the time I was writing an article for, it never ended up happening, but I, I was writing an article on Jones clones. I was writing an article on Indiana Jones uh, ripoffs. And I said, the hell with it. I'll just uh, turn my research and everything into this PowerPoint presentation. It, a, it could be something I actually enjoy and B, um, the work is done. And I did the whole thing. The presentation was about 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20 at the most. And afterwards, the professor at, turned to the class and asked, um, any questions for Mr. Zaldivar's presentation? Whatever. And nobody raised their hand except one girl. And she said, and and uh, uh, she says, yes, Shamiqua, tell me, tell me what you thought about um, uh, Mr. Zaldivar's presentation. Um, it'd be about that cowboy man, cowboy man, just because Indiana Jones has a has a has a hat, has a fedora, which is not a cowboy hat. And it, it it dawned on me then. It's like yes, I'm aware that that largely that demographic wants to kind of uh, separate itself from the pop culture of the mainstream in a lot of ways, but was it indicative of something else? And I understand that this is anecdotal, but was it indicative of that at some point and some point soon, Indiana Jones, the character, the franchise, the Raiders films aren't going to mean a lick to anybody. Is it something that's like from a bygone era that nobody cares about? No, they're maybe the films are boring to them. To well, I think, I think the movies that Indy is pulling from, that stuff's gone like that has no juice in the culture no that's over yeah um like but indy himself i was surprised by what she said because there's no cowboy man in my presentation i i wasn't even i didn't even talk about tex willer and the lords of the deep (laughs) so (laughs) so i i i was confused i was like how is it possible that somebody has never heard this is the first time they've encountered this character before it seemed unthinkable to me in 2011 yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's weird. Sometimes you encounter people who just haven't. I feel like that was kind of the the vibe in the room. So we're talking about a dozen or more than a dozen people. And yeah. I just thought, I wonder at some point, like all these things that we think are timeless, Star Wars and all this stuff, are they really? Or are we still 40, 80, maybe even 100 years off from, from finding that out? Hmm. 
I don't know. I mean, you know, when I encounter, I mean, I, I feel like uh, when I interact with teenagers, Indiana Jones still has some. some okay. Money. Yeah, you'd be a better judge than I mean. I'm it's, talking about 20, 30 people in a room from 10 years ago. It's not, he doesn't have Star Wars juice, probably because mm -hmm. those movies have that franchise has been, um, it hasn't stuck around like Star Wars has. Um, so it's it's there, but it's not as it's not as prevalent as Star Wars because Star Wars keeps putting out movies and TV shows. In fact, uh, what I'm most surprised by is when you talk to young people, they don't have the reverence for the original series that the Gen Xers and Millennials do. Um, yeah, Star Wars was definitely sold to Millennials better. It originated with Gen Xers, but it was sold to millennials better than it was sold to the Zoomers for sure. I'm just pointing out that how the sad Zoomers, the Zoomers yeah. like they like the TV stuff. They like like Rebels and Clone Wars, and they like Mandalorian. You know, if you ask Zoomers what's your favorite Star Wars thing, you're probably not going to hear Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um. You know, when you talk to millennials, you might hear Revenge of the Sith. You might hear, uh, you'll probably hear one of the Lucas six uh, that he produced. But when you talk to Zoomers, all, all bets are off. It could be like, you know, it's probably it's probably something television that they like the most. So maybe That's it's all. just the demographic thing. Um Although, I mean, it's really sad because, uh, you know, as little as 40, 50, yeah, 40 years ago even, uh, I, I always look at um, opening day videos and stuff like Return of the Jedi I saw recently in 1983 of everybody pouring out of the theater and pretending to like the movie. And um, they... <laughs> And um, and it was it was just a smorgasbord of people. It was a true melting pot. It was whites. It was black kids. It was it was it was uh, you know Asian kids. It was young old. Like we shared a culture at one point. Um, and the same like there's a Richard Harrison was on a game show. It's a lot like who's my, what's my line, where they try to guess what movie uh, Richard Harrison was in or something. It's from the 80s. And there was two white guys on the panel who were trying to figure out who Richard Harrison played in a particular film. And there was one black lady and she was like making references to Moondoggy, which is Gidget's uh, boyfriend in those series of films. And it's just like, that's unthinkable today. Yeah. It wouldn't happen now. They've completely separated themselves. Like we've all separated ourselves. Uh, yeah. uh, pop culture wise. And we used to live under this American culture where we all kind of saw the same stuff. I mean, yes, there was deviations and things like that, but ultimately the event movies everybody got together and watched now i don't believe that's a thing yeah everybody saw ben-hur everybody saw the ten commandments everybody you know right. would see how the west was won or whatever the hell you know everybody I mean, saw their theory. yeah i mean everybody i would i can't think of it jurassic park if, if you want to get very far into it you know everybody mm -hmm. in 1993 still was part of that culture i want to say yeah um, mm -hmm. but over the course of the past 30 years that's eroded Oh yeah, totally. Uh, you know, there's so much content now that everybody's attentions are diverted and distracted. And, you know, people are watching this show on streaming. People are watching that, you know, there's it, it's pretty rare that you get a water cooler movie or show. Um, I don't think you can, I think it's impossible now. I don't think it possibly exists. Is the Pandora's box, uh, never to close again. 
it's open now it's over i don't know man it's the landscape's changed so much um it's hard to say that it's going to go back you know all right so you wanted to talk indiana jones real quick so what's what were your thoughts there eric oh well you first you saw temple of doom recently uh i thought it was really good um Sorry, my dog is making my life miserable. Uh, I thought it was really good. You know, the kind of standard Gen X line for a long time was Temple of Doom is the not good one. You have Raiders, which is a classic. You have Last Crusade, which is really good, which really is just a retread of Raiders, but not as good. Um, but Temple of Doom was kind of the redheaded stepchild. And that was basically the line I would hear from most Gen X people I knew until... Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out and then Temple of Doom became a classic. But but a lot of people really love Temple of Doom and think it's a great movie. Some people like it more than Raiders. I thought it was fantastic um, watching it again. And I hadn't seen it as many times as I'd seen Raiders. I'd seen it a few times, but uh, but I really enjoyed it again this time around, maybe more so than ever. John? Um, what about uh, Temple of Doom, how I feel about it? Or I haven't watched it in a few years, but last time I watched it, I kind of felt like maybe it was better than Raiders. And it's probably just because I haven't watched Raiders in a long time or overexposed to Raiders and didn't see yeah. Temple of Doom for like 20, 30 years. So, yeah. I saw it recently. It's been a long time since I'd seen it. I really liked it as I usually do. Uh, I always thought, though, that Temple of Doom was a very close second to Raiders. Um, now I think it's still second, but it's a distant second. And the reason for that is that Raiders has an earthy feel that Temple doesn't have. Uh, Temple is very sound stagey. Um, it just, the Raiders, they had, they shot on location. There's just like, it just feels sweaty and gritty and, and Temple of Doom does feel sweaty. Uh, but the, I couldn't get it over the, the sound stages this time where it's just like, this is great. I love the set design and everything, but I just can't help but feeling that this is a little, too stagey um uh but but other than that and the one thing that temple does have over raiders is the climax everything from uh the slave mines to the mine cart to the bridge is all fantastic stuff and it beats raiders out of the park because raiders check out the last 20 minutes of raiders there's nothing going on yeah it gets yeah. it kind of slows down at the end yeah, you're coming. You're, the real climax of the movie is the con is the the truck convoy, and then you get a set piece at the end. But Indy's strapped to a pole, and he has his eyes closed. He doesn't really participate in anything. So yeah, that's always yeah, the he big didn't complaint. have to be there. He didn't have to be in the film, and they would have had the same result with the Nazis finding the Ark. And there's that theory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not great, but um, but yeah, I'm just in terms of like you know you want to have one big rousing set piece and this i don't think it's it i mean special effects wise it's great i love the melting faces and all that but yeah he's your hero is strapped to a, a stick you don't want your hero to be inconsequential at the end of yeah. the movie um yeah and then and then um crusade i enjoy it but it's clearly like a distant third it's uh it's they do the thing that i've never liked which is first of all it was too early in the series to, to do this i think to give to have the father show up and then it's like constantly clowning on him and berating him and stuff that that's something to do like as an experiment in you know vehicle number six or seven don't do that after three really good movies and you want to kind of finish things off yeah uh, no they made a lot of mistakes i think after um after temple like you know um 
you know, I think they should have, you know, done something different with the third film. Uh, they should have probably taken the role and given it to someone else uh, before Crystal Skull. Instead of letting... They uh, should have recast, like, they should have had a new one out with somebody else in, by 1993. Yeah. That's probably what they should yep. have. Yeah. And do one every three or four years, like the Bond series. And you can do all sorts of adventures in the 30s and 40s. You could buy the rights to Doc Savage novels and, ch you know, change it to indie. You know, it's, yep. those guys had all the money in the world to do that. And they, they don't even try. They don't even try to be creative. So right. well, it was serendipitous that the Raiders film started in 81 because you had three movies in the 80s. You could have had three in the 90s. You could have had three in the 2000s. You could have had three the past, the previous decade. Um, but it, it, you know, they stuck with Ford and I think that was a mistake. Yeah. Yep. Well, guys, let's go ahead and wrap it up because I have to run. Uh, sorry to knock things no out, worries. but stuff's just falling apart on my end. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say adios. I'm going to say peace out. Good night. And now, it's time for... Rue, Britannia, with your foreign correspondent, the Nez. Surprise, nobody ever knows who's looking that Hunter Biden pays for his own drugs. The summer silly season kicks in with all the predictability of five marine explorers looking for a can opener. Just Stop Oil continues this campaign of civil disobedience by obstructing the public highway. The public in turn respond by effectively throwing paint and milk over them. The Dow of Destiny effectively opens in the UK to empty multiplexes, whilst Phone Waller Bitch prepares to effectively kill off Lara Croft. Harry Markle gets humiliated in the High Court over his failed lawsuit against Mirror Group newspapers. And an unelected Indian Prime Minister is still incapable of being able to step outside of the front door each morning without his mum dressing him as usual. In summer, it's what passes for the idea of a cessation of hostilities. Anyway, as the London mayoral election kicks into low gear, the Tory electoral primary was rocked when one of the candidates vying for the nomination sensationally dropped out after claims of sexual harassment. Danish businessman Daniel Korski, and as you can tell, he's a Londoner, ended his campaign after a TV writer with a face that basically clearly sucks down from a wooden spoon accused him of doing something or another basically 15 years previously. Fair enough, I suppose, when you've been groped. Why wait? Anyway, the shoo-in now leaves two candidates. Saucy board Susan Hall, who actually did give her her due, is actually from London, and a Bangladeshi Muslim immigrant. He, like Korski, is clearly a Londoner. Cockney Sparrow! Witch trials and the independent inquiry into the COVID-19 winter this week vomited up things which, frankly, some would rather would have wished would have just simply still stayed buried after all these years. Well, after all, it was only three years ago. Mass murder and former health secretary Matt Hancock denied taking the advice of scientists offering a worst-case scenario as fact. A criminal suspect and ex-SMP leader Nicola Sturgeon used the witness box to bang on about a loathing of Brexit, only to be metaphorically slapped down by counsel instead. 
That said, if upon the report's findings and conclusions, Hancock and Sturgeon are bestowed multiple counts of manslaughter, then it really will be an impressive form of value for money for the taxpayer. And on the subject of witch trials, they researched that a woke CRGT think tank could procure £100,000 compo package after an employment tribunal held that she was unfairly dismissed from her job for stating that people can't biologically change sex. Maya Forstater walled out of the tribunal with bars of Nazi gold in her pockets after proving the basic scientific fact this week after her previous employer, the Centre for Global Development, contested the case after their law firm advised them that they were onto a woke mind-bending winner. It's at this point that I would normally hope that the winning side would donate the money to a charity for homeless teenagers. On this one, however, one hopes that she will spend the money on fags and beer. Not the woke CRGT fags, but the nicotine ones instead. Further notes in passing, failed Pakistani boxer Amir Khan gets to a right bowl of non-hal stew this week when he is effectively exposed asking a model to send him naked photographs. Makes a change from asking goats. The Philip Schofield affair travels on with Schofield and his underage ex-boyfriend Malcolm Gravy being interrogated by the barrister leading ICB's independent inquiry into the allegation that basically ICB shielded Schofield, which they did. And finally, a British tourist in Rome pleads for forgiveness from Italian police after being arrested after being caught carving his name onto the Colosseum's wall. One can only hope that the pasta bashes carve a metal duster onto his forehead. Pax. Thank you for listening to the Midnight Movie Cowboys. For more information, go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com. For feedback, comments, or show suggestions, go to midnightmoviecowboys at gmail.com. Like what you hear? Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Hear us on Stitcher Radio. Head over to stitcher.com and download the app. Want to help the show out? Head on over to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and hit the PayPal donate. We appreciate all donations of any denomination. Find us on Twitter at MMCowboys. Like us on Facebook. Head over to facebook.com Type in Midnight Movie Cowboys. Hit the like button over there. Want to friend us personally on Facebook or follow us on Twitter? Go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and find the links from there on the right-hand side. Thanks for listening. See you all next week.